If you have your Bibles, you can open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and uh, we will continue on from where we were last week, picking up from part one of fighting freedom, finding freedom from pornography, and uh, we will continue talking about, I know, a difficult and um, devastating topic. This is not one that, uh, again, we talked about last week, is not something that uh, I know many of us enjoy hearing or talking about, or it's not one that I certainly enjoy preaching on. Nevertheless, it is something that, uh, again, even from the conversations from last week, talking to uh, kids in grade school who are struggling over years with pornography, to senior adults who shared their many, many years struggle with pornography and the freedom that they were able to find. The parents who wrestle with what in the world do we do, how do we combat this, and everything in between. So to to help, um, I recognize that this is a, a constantly revolving door, a moving target to hit as technology changes and the moment that we feel like we just get up to speed on what's going on right now, things change so much and so quickly that we feel like we're lost and confused again. Uh, I've put together a quick little uh, resource at montgomeryfbc.org slash resources that I hope that you would find instructive. And it's basically the answers to the top questions that I've received from you. And uh, I've just put that out so that you can find it and access it, and maybe it would be helpful. Uh, there's a page at the bottom for if you have further questions or resources, I would gladly receive those to help our church body and others who are struggling to figure out what to do and how to respond. So this morning, we continue on, and I hope we would get uh, a biblical foundation and give us some tools from Scripture to know how we can fight and how we can combat. So before we do that, I, I just let, let's pray together. Dear Lord, we, we pause before we even open your word right now. Recognizing, as we did last week, that there are those in this room who are struggling, those in this room who uh, are close to those who are struggling, and those who want to come alongside those who are struggling. So Lord, would you give us great clarity in the midst of these next few moments? Stir our hearts in the ways that we need to be stirred. Remind us through every moment of this time of your grace that is, a, that is abundant and that is available to us. Lord, in the moments where we feel the shame and condemnation, Lord, would you, just, would you just stir and surround us with your presence and remind us of your fullness of grace that is available to us. Let my speech be seasoned with your salt, Lord. It's in your name we pray, amen. First thing that you'll see is number one, run from sexual sin, and we'll start our way in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and starting in verse 12 through 20. In the moments where maybe you felt like over the past week that our culture is, uh, man, we are just so far gone. We are living in a sexualized, a pornified culture, and we are just living in dark times and in a dark season, and we just feel like, man, could things get any worse, or have they ever been worse than where they are right now? And we can be overwhelmed by this sentiment, thinking that we are just walking through what nobody else has ever walked through in the history of time. But we look at 1 Corinthians, and we look at the Corinthian church, and we see that they were on almost parallel tracks in terms of lostness and losing of a sexual ethic that would lead and guide them. They're living in a day of temple prostitutes and all sorts of sexual immorality that was prevalent both in the church and outside of the church. 
And so we come to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, and we see Paul's uh, guidance and direction to the Corinthian church. So let's start and pick up at verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit with whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So the first thing that you see is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. You see that Paul uses quotation marks saying, all things are lawful for me, and all things, again, are lawful for me, and food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach for food. Paul is relaying back to the Corinthian church and to the Corinthian people what he has heard from them. He's giving them a slogan of the Corinthian church, all things are lawful for me. Right, the body and the spirit are disconnected, so whatever the body feels right, whatever you want to do, do it. Whatever makes you happy, as long as it's not harming other people, go for it. Whatever makes you feel good, whatever makes you feel alive, whatever makes you come alive, do it. All things are lawful, go for it. Whatever makes you happy and satisfied for that moment, go, live, do it, enjoy all things, as Paul says, from the Corinthian mouth, is lawful. It sounds kind of familiar for where we are in today's age, does it not? Whatever makes you happy, whatever is good, whatever is right for you, go for it. That the body and the spirit disconnected, whatever makes you good, God's probably created you that way. Go for it, enjoy it, have fun. Whatever makes you happy, enjoy. All things are lawful for me. But Paul responds to this justification of sin by saying, but not all things are helpful. I will not be dominated by anything. And then he goes in very clear terms to say, God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality. And this word that Paul uses for sexual immorality in the Greek is where we get the word pornography. It's porneia. The Greek word for sexual immorality is porneia. And it is this umbrella term encompassing all things that are sexually out of bounds from the Lord. In essence, this is an umbrella term that would say anything that is not husband and wife in a sexual relationship in marriage is out of bounds. And so porneia would cover all that sexual immorality. You know, we live in a, a day and time that I think people wish that Paul would go down and say, here's all the list of everything that you're not allowed to do sexually, right? And, and sometimes we get dinged on this and people say, well, well, Jesus said that you can't do this, but Paul didn't say it, so it must not be that bad. Or we go down the list and say, well, Jesus didn't say that you can't do this. Or even somebody may say, well, um, this is uh, digital pornography. It's not physical. And so it's really not sexual immorality. And we can go down a list and say, well, well this, we don't have this in the Bible. It's not written out explicitly. Because if Paul wrote out a list explicitly, we would find a way to say, well, that wasn't on the list. So it must be okay. 
And so what Paul does is use an umbrella term to say anything, not husband, not wife, in a marriage relationship is porneia. It is out of bounds and it is sexual immorality. And Paul says clearly, the body is not meant for sexual immorality. And then in a very graphic way, uh, delivers on this analogy. He says, and God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of the prostitute? And with an exclamation, Paul says, never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. All the way back in Genesis, when Jesus, when God created Adam and Eve and put them in the garden and said the two will become one flesh flesh by their sexual union. And here again, saying to us, do you not know that when we go towards sexual immorality, that we are bringing Jesus in the midst of an immoral relationship? He says in verse 18, flee sexual immorality. Maybe one of the most instructive and practical things that Paul wrote is just simply verse 18, flee sexual immorality. Don't flirt with sexual immorality, flee from sexual immorality. Don't toe the line by sexual immorality, flee, run, get as far away from it as you can. Don't go near to it, run as far and as fast as you possibly can, as quick as you possibly can, away from sexual immorality. And we are living in a day and a time that would say, let's flirt with, let's get as close as we possibly can to sexual immorality with maybe not crossing the line into sexual immorality. And we flirt as good as we can possibly flirt with the line. But Paul says, flee. Friends, flee means you got arrows and, and darts coming at you and you are running as fast and as far away as you possibly can. Flee does not mean linger around and see how it all shapes out. Flee means get your sneakers on and get out. Like you got a building on fire and you got to run as far and fast as away. You got to get out of there. And I... I think at times that we have this proclivity towards let's just toe the line with it. Let's get as close as we possibly can without crossing the line. And friends, when we flirt with sexual immorality, we are in grave danger of being in, in a deep pit of sexual immorality. This past week, even this morning, as I was preparing to come out here and, and preach this message, I was looking over uh, my journals. I usually spend the morning just looking back on what, the, what God's been doing over the past many years. Look back at what was going on in my heart, and I looked 10 years ago today, I received some devastating news from one of my most best friends. He had found himself in a situation and a circumstance that he never thought that he would be in. He found himself in prison for some things that he did sexually that were absolutely evil and horrific. And as we talked over the phone from a jail cell, but how in the world he got to this place of evil and a sin of a sexual nature that is just awful. As we begin to back up the timeline and just look and, and look at different things to say, the slow roll where he would say, I, I never would do that. I would never get to that. I would never in a million years do that. But over time, as you, as you neglect to run and flee from sexual sin, as you neglect to flee from sin, the line that you say, well, it's not that bad. I'm just going to cross a little bit. Oh, nothing happened. It's not that bad. Uh, 
not, not dead or nothing happened. And, uh, nothing, it was actually not that bad. And then over time, you, you step a little closer and you look back and say, well, I'm not that far away from it. It's not that bad. And you continually to just flirt with the line and flirt with the line until all of a sudden you're into a place that you never thought that you would go. We talked about last week with pornography and the trickling effect of mold growing in a household. Husbands and wives, that you would say, I would never commit adultery, but so often the open door to adultery starts with pornography. Friend, Paul makes it extremely clear. Don't flirt with sexual sin. Run from it. Flee from it. Get rid of it. And it's not something that just Paul is going to say. You'll see it over and over as we talk this morning because he says flee sexual sin. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but he who sins sexually sins against his own body. And then verse 19 and 20, give us the supposition by which we stand upon. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So glorify God with your body. And I think, if anything, this should help us see sexual sin for what it is. That we are called to honor God with our bodies. That our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. So why? Why would we then enter into porneia, our sexual immorality, knowing that we are bringing our bodies, which are temples of the Holy Spirit, along with us? If anything, that should, that should almost make us in the pit of our stomach, disgusted to think about bringing Jesus in the midst of our sexual immorality. It's not something we celebrate or work towards or say this is okay. We should, we should almost have vomit in our mouths thinking about the disgust that that would be bringing Jesus in the midst of our sexual sin. And this is why Paul would say in verse 18, not to flirt with sexual sin, but to flee, to flee from it. And if I can give you no clear admonition, no more practical admonition this morning. You'll see it over and over in Scripture as we talk. Flee from it, brothers and sisters. Get rid of it. Run from it. Number one, run from sexual sin. But number two, we also recognize and realize the cost of sexual sin. And Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 are so instructive. And I would encourage you, maybe this afternoon, if you want more reading, to read Proverbs 5, 6, and 7 and see the instruction given and the recognition of the cost of sexual sin. I want to read Proverbs 7, 21 through 27. And we are in Bible drill mode this morning. We're going all over different places. So you got it. Everybody good? Okay, people said amen. Open your Bibles. Here we go. Psalm, Proverbs 7, 21 through 27. Let's read this with, with a mindset of how written years and years and years ago, how, how, how relevant this is to pornography and sexual sin today. Almost as if you could write these words about pornography and sexual sin today is the writer of Proverbs to us today. Proverbs 7, 21 through 27. With much seductive speech, she persuades him. With her smooth talk, she compels him. And all at once, he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter. Think of that imagery of the calling of pornography or porneia. To, to come on, it's not that bad. Seductive speech saying, it's, come on in, it's not that bad. And all at once, he follows her. Think of the imagery as an ox goes to the slaughter. Our stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. 
And now, O sons, listen to me. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways and do not stray into her path. For many a victim has she laid low and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. I think about the, for many a victim has she laid low and all her slain are a mighty throng. I think about the conversations I've had with many of you this week who are in uh, different positions and uh, even at schools and, and homes and counselors to say how often and how devastating the pornography addiction has become in our culture. It is ravaging us and the victims are laid low and the throngs of people are outside the doors of this adductive, seductive speech and pornea. And so when you get to Proverbs 5, I want us to listen to this in terms of how it was written. I often talk about my kids. It's just a phase of life that I'm in right now, having a five, a three, and a one-year-old. And there are those moments that you come up when you see Brittany and I are, are tired or struggling and we look like we're about to lose our cool. And you say, and I don't mean this sarcastically, you say words like, hey, just soak it up, right? I'm trying to think, oh, not really. But you, you say these encouraging words like, soak it up. It goes by so fast. And I receive that so well. And it is so helpful because there are those moments where I just want to speed on past life. I want to speed on past diapers. I want to speed on past so many of the little phases that we're in. And I think about how often I hear around our church family from grandparents and parents that say, soak it up. Get down on the floor with your kids. Play with them. It goes by so quickly. And I look at you nodding your heads as your kids are on the end of your pew thinking, yes, it does. Go, where did the... And those words are so instructive because I know that you have been there. You've walked in those shoes. And I come to Proverbs 5 and I almost hear that instructive grandparent speaking to his son saying, listen, I have seen the devastation. And almost pleading, please listen. Please listen to me. So when I read Proverbs 5, I want you to think about a son listening to the elder just say, with everything pleading with him. Proverbs 5, my son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death and her steps follow the path of Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life and her ways wander and she does not know it. Oh, sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when your flesh and body are consumed. And you say, how I hated discipline, and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teacher or incline my ear to my instruction. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. You think of those instructive words. Written generations and generations and generations before, and how instructive it is even to this day. The father calling son, please don't go near the door. Don't even go near to it. It's leading down into death. Don't go near to it. It's robbing you of all that God has called you to. And at the end of your life, do you want to look back and say, why? 
at the end of your marriage, at the midst of your utter ruin, in the midst of a marriage that's falling apart because of these sexual sins, do you want to say, why didn't I listen? Why didn't I change? Maybe high school students, junior high students, when you're at the beginning stages and you're saying, well, I'm still poking and prodding and looking at these different things. You recognize where this takes us. It takes us down into death and it robs us of all that God has called us to and the life that he has brought for us. And I don't want this for me and I don't want this for you either. I want to listen to the words, the instructions of God's word that would tell us, don't go near to the door of the house. Don't go near to it. It's almost as if the writer of Proverbs and Paul are sitting down together and they're saying, Flee it, run away from it, don't go near to it. And then number three, you see resolve to fight. Matthew chapter five, verse 27 through 30, as Jesus has just preached the Sermon on the Mount and he has talked about anger and here he gets to talking about lust in verse 27 through 30. He says, you have heard it said, well, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart, essentially telling us that if it's digital or if it's in your mind, it has the same merit as if you do it in action. But then he says, if your right hand causes you to sin, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Friends, this is a difficult passage. And it is one that I am not calling you today to walk out of here and gouge out your eyes and cut off your hands. Because I think it's apparent that you can still lust without any eyes. That you can still sin without any hands. I think Jesus is reminding us of the radical nature by which we should take as our posture towards sin. That we would not just say, and Jesus does not say, oh, you committed adultery in your heart. It's not that bad. It's not that problem. You're not hurting this lady. You're not hurting yourself. Nobody knows about it. Your husband or your wife will never find out. It's not that big of a deal. Just keep on doing what you're doing. No, Jesus says, take a radical posture towards sin. Friends, I think today, What is your radical posture that you need to take against sin? As I said last week, for some of you, you need to go home today and throw out your boxes of pornography that your kids will inevitably find. Maybe today you need to go and turn on your computer and you need to delete the folders upon folders of pornography that you have on your your computer that you think nobody knows about. Today you need to go home and talk to your spouse or your husband or your Uh, mentor or a counselor and you say I need to confess my sin and I need help maybe today you need an accountability and a mentoring partner who can hold you accountable to what God has called you to maybe your radical step will take much courage but friends you've got to fight here Jesus does not just say go on about your way keep on sinning keep doing the things that you do just keep them in darkness so nobody knows about no he says do something about it Better to take a radical step like having your computer in the middle of the house. Better to have an accountability partner as your wife. Better to use a flip phone. 
better to confess your sin to a brother or sister who is struggling than continually thinking your sin has no effect on your life or the life of others. Friends, resolve to fight. Take the courageous steps towards light to fight. And then number four, recognize what leads us towards temptation. I recognize that when we sin, oftentimes we sin out of temptation that the enemy would dangle things in front of us that would lead us towards it. When Jesus in Matthew 26, 41 is praying before he enters into Passion Week, he, he comes back to find his disciples and apostles sleeping. And he says, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And I pray all of us who may be struggling with pornography would know that our spirit is so willing and we want this so badly, but our flesh is so weak. There's an acronym that uh, people who are smarter than I have come up with, and it's B-HALTS, B-H-A-L-T-S, B-HALTS. I know acronym game is not quite on point yet, but we're getting there, all right? So B-HALTS. The B stands for boredom. The H for hungry. The A stands for angry or anxious. The L for lonely. The T for tired. And the S for stressed. And oftentimes, these are triggers by which when we are stressed, we look for things to cover and numb us from our stress. When we are bored, at times, we look for things to fill our time, and we go to things to satisfy us. So we've got boredom, hungry, angry, and anxious, lonely, tired, and stressed. And so we look, and we ask ourselves, what are those trigger points in our life that keep bringing me back to pornography? Maybe expand it to whatever you're wrestling with. What are those trigger points in my life that when I am walking through this, it leads me to pornography? It's when I'm stressed at school and I have to study for all these tests and I just want a a release in some way. Or is it when I'm fighting with my husband or with my wife and I'm frustrated and so I go for other things to satisfy me? Is it when I'm just lonely and I'm just, just straight up lonely and I look for things to fill me relationally? The enemy will often use these triggers and whatever maybe is another trigger that you could add to this acronym to lead you down a pathway towards temptation. And the ultimate truth is that pornography and sin always talks but never satisfies and never delivers on his promise. It always tells you it'll, it'll satisfy you, it'll cure your boredom, it'll court cure your depression, it'll cure your loneliness, but it always leaves you more shame-filled, more guilt-filled, more away from the presence of the Lord, and more dissatisfied than ever before. So recognize in your own soul what leads you towards temptation. And at times, you need to do an autopsy of your failure. At times in premarriage counseling, I talk about taking an autopsy of your argument. And and relationships when you fight and you get angry with one another at times when you've cooled down and you have a moment to breathe talk about taking an autopsy why did we get upset why did we raise our voice what was happening in our hearts that led us down that pathway take an autopsy of it and just say um, how can I respond better next time what led us down this pathway and at times when we stumble into sin it is good for us to say Lord what was weak here what was I chasing after what was I seeking after and did it satisfy what led me down this pathway? What was I trying to, trying to achieve in my heart? And at times when you know those trigger points in your life, you can cover those things up and rid against them. So recognize what leads us to temptation. And as we conclude this morning, let me offer up an extension of God's hope. And that is number five, to remember God's abundant grace. 
Remember God's abundant grace. And as we leave this morning, and as we left last week, I want to remind us to remember and reflect deeply on the reality of God's abundant grace. In Psalm 51, I encourage you to turn your Bibles to Psalm 51. David, after he has been caught up in sin with Bathsheba, after he has sinned with Bathsheba and against Bathsheba, after he has lied to cover up his sin and after he has murdered to cover up his sin and the escalating snowball effect of sin. The prophet Nathan comes to David and calls David out in his sin and David responds in Psalm 51, which I believe is one of the most heartfelt prayers and one of the most heartfelt moments to help us when we struggle with sin, especially in Pornea. David responds, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin and my mother conceived me. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. And hide your face from my sins and blot out all of my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me a willing spirit. What a beautiful prayer. As David recognizes his sin, for I know my transgressions. As he recognizes who he has sinned against when he says, against you and you alone have I sinned. David recognizes the need of his grace and he says, create in me a clean heart. And the joy that he can be washed whiter than snow. He says, restore to me the joy of my salvation. I'm just going to tell you this morning, the only way that you will not experience the joy of your salvation afresh and anew, the only way that you will not experience the washing whiter than snow, the only way that you will not hear joy and gladness and a clean heart, the only way that the Lord will not restore the joy of your salvation unto you again is when you stay hidden in the darkness. The only way you will not experience God's joy his love and care and patience and provision for you is when you say, I'd rather not have it. I'd rather stay in the darkness. Is when you say the cost of sharing is something that I cannot come to grips with. I'd rather stay in the darkness. How can God give you his abundant grace? How can he restore unto you the joy of your your salvation if you would rather stay in the darkness? The ultimate reality is what is at the bottom of your outline, grace greater than our sin. In a moment, we're going to sing that, hymn number 329. We're going to sing grace greater than our sin. And maybe in this moment, as we sing grace greater than our sin, you need to hear it. For those who struggle with pornography, those who struggle with addictive sin, 
These words that we're about to sing are words that you probably do not believe at times. You may feel the shame and embarrassment and guilt, and so as you sing grace greater than our sin, even as the words leave your mouth, you may think, well, not for me. Uh, God's grace is sufficient for a lot of other people, but it's not for me. And can I tell you, with every fiber of my being and on the authority of every word of God, God's grace is greater than your sin. It's not a maybe it is. It's not as possible it could be. It's not, oh, it's just barely covering your sin. No, we are swimming in the ocean that is God's grace. And it is sufficient even for you. So this morning, as we sing, grace greater than our sin, would it be the theme of your voice, the theme of your heart, to say and proclaim with every part of you, Lord, thank you that your grace has washed me whiter than snow. I thank you that your grace is greater than my sin, even when I don't deserve it. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you. We thank you this morning that we have something to sing about. That even if we struggle with sexual sin or any sin at all, and we are bound by it, Lord, we thank you that your grace is greater, that you call us out of darkness and into the light. I pray for those brothers and sisters right now who maybe they're watching at home right now or maybe they're here in this room and they are struggling in the pit of pornography. They're struggling in the pit of addiction. Lord, I pray that they would take that radical and courageous step out of it and into the light. That they would seek a mentor, a counselor, a pastor, a friend. And that they would run out of the darkness and be embraced by your glorious light. Lord, thank you as we sing this concluding invitational hymn that your grace is greater. May we never grow tired of singing about it, hearing about it, and proclaiming it first and foremost to our own heart that so desperately needs it. Lord, I thank you for the freedom that we can enjoy through your grace. And it's in Jesus' name I pray.